Amen. Sin was strong, but Jesus is stronger. That is our story. Praise the Lord. Uh, the ability to uh, sing that truth and rejoice in that truth together this morning. I love it. Also love... Uh, Love that uh, the kids uh, participate in worship with us before they head off to their classes. I counted. Uh, I'd also, you know, all y'all are, are too afraid to sit in the front. You know, I just, I counted. We had 12 boys sitting in this row, and there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight chairs. <laughs> 12, 12 boys crammed into eight chairs there. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, singing and worshiping the Lord together, and it does my heart good. So I love it, love it, love it. Loved uh uh, seeing those pictures too of foundations and what's been going on in children's ministry with uh, within the Foundations Hour in Awana over the past several weeks. Just want to say a huge thank you to all of you who are uh, using your gifts, whether you knew they were your gifts or not, or you're just learning that they're your gifts, right? We're using your gifts uh, to serve uh, those kids in, the, in that way and teach them the Word of God, teach them to hide it in their heart. It's so, so cool, so encouraging. Um, yeah, and just foundations in general. I just wanted to kind of celebrate this morning. You know, we've talked for months and months and months and months about uh, just this idea of kind of this culture shift that we were going to have at our church and wanting you to build into, just build the habit of coming on at 9.15 on Sunday morning. And, uh, and uh, so we've been, now this is week three of foundations of that hour taking place before our normal worship service, and, uh, and uh, our church has responded in a huge way. I was, kinda tr I was trying to count up all the people who signed up for classes, plus all our kids, uh, plus all our teens uh, that are signed up for class, plus all the people that are volunteering with kids. We have like over 200 people involved in this foundations hour in the morning, which just blows away all of, yeah, praise the Lord, just all of our expectations out of the water, and uh, so praise God. So if you're new with us and you've, maybe you've just kind of been with us the last couple weeks, you're wondering what this is, it's a, we operate on a two-month cycle. So we're in our class, discipleship class cycle right now, and that'll go through September, October. And then starting in November, we'll go into our life group cycle. And so that'll be November, December. You still come at 915, but instead of coming to a class, we'll put you in a life group. You know, I'm not in a life group. I don't know how to get in a life group. We'll put you in a life group. We just got to know that you are committed to coming at that time, and we'll get you plugged in uh, two months there, and then back in the class cycle, back in the life group cycle, etc. And, and if you've, uh, maybe you've been here, you're not doing uh, foundations just yet. You're like, well, I feel like I kind of missed it. I don't really know what to do just show just come here at 9:15 or a few minutes before and just show up and we have a sign in the hallway that says what the classes are called and where they are and just come and just show up to a class and you'll be more than welcome to come so you don't have to feel any pressure to do anything then just be here at 9:15. Uh, but praise the Lord. And also, man, this, I'm cutting into my time, and i got a lot to say this morning, too, about our passage. Turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2, by the way, as I'm rambling on and on here. Also, one amazing thing that we never would have predicted either is as Foundations has started, uh, the other ministries of our church that meet outside of that 915 uh, time have also grown in the amount of participation, which is just amazing. So uh, our men's Bible study is, is full every week, and women's Bible study had something like 40 women. I think the Monday night, I haven't heard about the Wednesday night Bible study, but I'm uh, just blown away by that and just really encouraged. Uh, we want to be a church. Again, we talked about this. this. Following Jesus is not easy. We talk about that pretty much every week. It's hard work. It takes your whole life, and, uh, and we're called to die to ourselves, right? Be crucified with Christ. Be 
united with him. That's not something that you just luck into, especially when we have an enemy and a sinful flesh that's warring against that happening. So it takes a commitment and it takes a hard work. And so we want to be the church that says, like, we're not going to shy away from, from talking about it. It's a, big, it's a big deal to follow Jesus. It's a big commitment. And uh, just seeing our church, like, move forward in that commitment, I just got to tell you, just uh, is such an encouragement to me. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, it's, it's good stuff. So anyways, um, that was not in my notes, but uh, just so encouraged by that. We are in Daniel chapter 2 this morning, the second half, so we're going to be in verses 25 to the end of the chapter, so hopefully you're turning there with me, and as you're turning there, let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are, uh, you are good, you are holy, you are high on the throne, you are exalted, you are creator of heaven and earth, creator of the universe. You knit together the stars and you knit together ourselves. So from the, 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 the grandest scale imaginable down to the molecular level, God, you are you are in all of it. You are creator of all of it, and you are sovereign over all of it. This whole earth is yours, God, and we are yours because we have been bought with a price that is far more extravagant of a price than any of us can even fathom. Yet you sent your son who laid down his life willingly for his sheep. So we praise you, God. I just pray that everything that we say and do in here as we gather as a church and out there as we go as the church would bring honor and glory to you. God, give me wisdom as I preach. Guard my mouth. Give me a humble heart. May we have eyes to see what you want us to see in your word this week, we pray in Jesus' name. All right, well, we are, like I said, we're in uh, Daniel chapter 2, the second half of Daniel chapter 2 this morning. If you missed the sermon last week, you'll definitely want to take a listen to it at some point if you can, because we're, we're, we're picking up in the middle of a really fantastic story here this morning. So just to catch you up, Daniel and his three friends who we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but they actually, those names were changed. Uh, but Daniel and his three friends found themselves thrust into the middle of a problem that they had absolutely nothing to do with creating. You might remember King Nebuchadnezzar. He's kind of this caricature, caricature of a man, of a power-hungry and cranky and impulsive and bullying tyrant, right? That's King Nebuchadnezzar. People are afraid to say no to him because of the power that he wields to uh, execute them at a moment's notice. So at the beginning of chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a problem, and when somebody like that has a problem, what happens? It becomes a lot more people's problem than just his problem, right? What was his problem? The problem was that he had a weird dream. Now, I have weird dreams sometimes. I had a weird dream last night. I'm not making this up. I'm, try, I'm trying to see if he's if somebody, involved somebody in our church. Uh, he might be serving this morning. Adam Long. Oh, there's Adam. Adam, you were in my dream last night. <laughs> I dreamed 
that I was just getting on, ready to um, preach, walking on stage, and music was about to end, and Pastor David said, actually, we have uh, special music, and, uh, and Adam came on, <laughs> and he held the microphone like this, and, and there, it was like everyone else on the band left, and so then it was like old school special music, like with the karaoke, and, and he started to sing, and it was not good. <laughs> Adam's a great musician. I, I don't know if I've really heard him sing before. I'm sure you do a great job with special music, but in my dream, it wasn't good. I have no idea what that uh, has to do with anything um, or why I had that dream, uh, but it was a weird dream. So I thought, since we're talking about dreams, I should share that I had that dream <laughs> last night. So very strange. Um, so next week, maybe if you want to do special music and we'll see how, if my dream was prophetic or not, uh, Adam. No. So Nebuchadnezzar has a weird dream. See, when I have a weird dream, I usually just like, okay, that was a weird dream, and move on with my day, but not so Nebuchadnezzar. His reaction was different than most of our reactions when we have a weird dream. He thought to himself, well, I have all these people on my payroll that I pay good money to and take care of, and they claim to be wise men, right? These are the people who claim to have interactions with the gods that can tell me things that I don't know that the gods are telling us. And so I'm, I'm paying these people good money. I'm taking care of them. Let's see if they're actually worth their salt, right? Let's see if they actually can do what they say they can do. Why don't I put them to the test? And so he de- makes a decree that unless his wise men can tell him his dream and what it meant... See, they were perfectly fine to just tell him what it meant. You just tell us the dream, and we'll tell you what it means. Anyone can do that. Anyone can pretend like they know what a dream means. But Nebuchadnezzar says, nope, you've got to tell me what I dreamed, what I dreamt, and what my dream means, or you'll all die. All right, so that's the stakes. All of the wise men gathered around Nebuchadnezzar will die if no one can tell him his dream. Well, what's the problem? The problem is Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, well, they were lumped in with these wise men. And so they were going to be put to death if they couldn't tell the king his dream. So Daniel and his friends got together and they prayed and they asked God to do a miracle. And we talked about this at the end of last week. Like, sometimes that's what we're called to do as well. Oftentimes, I would say. Sometimes you find yourself in a situation in life where you look around, you're like, how on earth did this happen? How did I get here? And what am I going to do from here? We talked about that's like the bottom falls out of life, right? Daniel and his friends had nothing to do with being in a life or death situation, an impossible situation. It just happened to them. The bottom had fallen out of their life, and so what did they do? They got together and they prayed. I was so encouraged this week. I heard from several people who said they were convicted to share what was going on in their lives with other people in our church and pray because of seeing this in God's Word. That's exactly what we're called to do. We're a family, right, church? So when the bottom falls out of life, we get together with one another and we cry out to God. And so that's what they did. And amazingly, we shouldn't be surprised, but miraculously, God came through, didn't he? We saw that God revealed the dream and its interpretation to Daniel in a vision. And so then we see in verse 24, Daniel gets this confidence that I just love. Look with me at verse 24. After God has revealed the dream to him, therefore... Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to, dis- to destroy the wise men of Babylon. This must have been a bad dude, right? If you're the guy that the king appoints to make sure all the wise men are killed, this is not somebody that you want to mess with, right? 
can't imagine. But Daniel goes to him and he says this, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king and I will show the king the interpretation. Right? So we left off kind of this climax moment. Daniel is like, let me go talk to the king and I'm going to tell him his dream and what it meant. So that's where we left off. And so with the rest of our time now this morning with that as a lengthy introduction, we're going to find out what the dream was, what it meant, and what it means for us today. So what the dream was, what it meant then, and what it means for us today. So look with me starting in verse 25. We'll finally get an answer to what this dream that he had uh, was all about. So verse 25. Then Arioch brought Daniel in before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? So he says, are you really going to do this? Everyone told me they can just do the interpretation. Are you going to be the one who tells me what I dreamt and the interpretation? Look at Daniel's response. I love this. Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. I love that. Nebuchadnezzar says, are you able to do this? All these other wise men have said they can't do it. That's why I'm going on this killing spree right now. Are you able to do this? And what's Daniel's response? And I'm not able to do this. But there's a God in heaven who can. No human being can do what you're asking us to do. So all your wise men are actually right. No human being can do what you're asking us to do. Only God can reveal mysteries, and he has shown me what the dream is. He says, I didn't do it. God did it. He's so careful not to take any credit for what's to come. And I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I think there's certainly a point of application here for us, which is that we need to humbly recognize what is God's doing versus what is our doing, right? And give glory to God. Now it's easy, those words, oh yeah, all glory to God. That's easy to say, right? For, I mean, we should say that, right? So if we're not saying that, if someone gives a compliment and you're like, yeah, you're right, I'm pretty awesome, right? Like, okay, that's one level of pridefulness that we should probably avoid. But we should at least be giving God glory for the things that he is doing, that thing, the ways that he uses us. But boy, I tell you what, I mean, at least I was convicted by this. It's so easy um, to say those words, all glory to God, but in the back of your mind be like, yeah, and, and, and I had a pretty big part of it too, right? Yeah, he, used, he, did, he did choose to use me in that, so there must have been a reason, right? Yeah, all glory to God, but, but our, our hearts, right, can be so easy to get puffed up with pride. Someone gives you a compliment in your mouth, you say praise the Lord, but your heart, you're like, yep, I'm awesome. <laughs> That's not the kind of attitude we're called to have. And Daniel certainly, especially think about the power of the king. Think about the ability of what the king could have done for Daniel if, in fact, Daniel had the dream. What Right. 
right? Especially if he, he's already shown himself to be 10 times wiser than all these wise men. Now he's going to go even above and beyond that. So he could very easily have just walked in and be like, I got it, king. So what are you going to do for me once I tell you, right? But he didn't say that. Nebuchadnezzar asked him, do you know the dream? And Daniel said, nobody on earth could do what you're asking them to do. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And I think too often, it's, it's, it's not just because pride in our heart, what, what pride in our heart can do then is we can actually be blinded to the ways that it is in fact God who's always working out his plan all the time, no matter what. Daniel recognized it. Do you recognize what is actually his work in your heart and through you to bring about his glory and his kingdom on earth? I think we just need to be humbled by that sometimes. Say, oh my goodness, God, this is not me. It is you. I love Daniel's example of this here. And you know what else I love about it? Is that this is such a witness to the king, isn't it? Nebuchadnezzar believed there were all these different gods and that those gods gave different powers to different individuals. So again, this wouldn't have been surprising necessarily to him if one of these gods was powerful enough to give Daniel this power to do this. And so Daniel is so clear, knowing the worldview of the king, to say there is only one God in heaven and on earth who can do this. It is the all-powerful, all-knowing God, omniscient, sovereign God. So this is a witness. So as you give glory to God, as I look out on you, I see people in our church who like do an amazing job at this that I'm so uh, convicted and encouraged when I talk to you because I see you like living this out in your life. And as you, you do that, you're giving such a witness to the watching world because who doesn't want to take credit for themselves, right? What kind of people wouldn't want to be puffed up when they do something that to the world's eyes looks great? Of course, yeah, look at me. If we could kind of almost just like hold a mirror backwards and just say like, I just need to, whatever comes to me in terms of praise, I just reflect on God. Just say, it's him, it's not me. He must increase, I must decrease. He is the one who is moving and working. May we be a people like Daniel in that way. Amen? We can do better than that. Amen? Amen? Amen. That's what Daniel does here. But all of that would have been for naught. If he didn't have the dream right, right? If he gives God glory for it, and then it's, he's not even close on the dream. So it's very important that he has the dream right. So let's keep reading and see if, in fact, he knows what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was. Second half of verse 28. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, the mystery has been revealed to me. Here he goes again, giving God glory. Not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation might be made known to the king and that you might know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. Here we go. Pay attention to what the image was. So he sees an image. The head of the image was fine gold. So an image or statue of some kind. Its head is gold. Its chest and arms of silver. Its middle and thighs of bronze. Its legs of iron. 
and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. These things are going to be very important. See, it's a statue. It's made up of all different materials, gold, silver, bronze, iron, and then the feet are iron mixed with clay. Something happened to that image in the dream. Verse 34, as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is a crazy dream. I can understand why Nebuchadnezzar would wonder what was going on, especially, I don't know if he had this dream like multiple times or not, but uh, I can certainly understand why he would have woken up and wondered what was going on with this dream. Stone gets cut out, strikes the image on the feet, the whole image turns to chaff and goes away. And then that stone grows until it fills the whole earth. Before we get to the interpretation of what it means, we should just stop and say, praise God, the dream was correct, right? Nebuchadnezzar didn't stop him halfway through and say, nope, you're wrong, that's not what it was. (laughs) Off with your head, see you later, right? The dream was correct. God did a miracle here. So what did it mean? What does this dream mean? Verse 36, this was the dream. Again, I can't imagine the guts it took to just say that. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, listen to the flattery he gives him here. The king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory. It's interesting. He's flattering him, but he's still also reminding him, yeah, you're you're this powerful king, but you got it because God gave it to you. And into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. He says these words that Nebuchadnezzar would have loved to hear. You are the head of gold. He's probably like, yeah, that's right. That makes sense. I could have guessed that, he probably thought. Of course I'm the head of gold. Verse 39, another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. And yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay." And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw, the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. Verse 44, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven, this is key, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. 
The dream is certain and the interpretation sure. Wow, I know this for a fact, he says, 100%. This is what you dreamt and this is what it means. All right, so let's talk about it. What is all of that? So again, this is one of those passages in Scripture. Sometimes you read it, and you're like, uh, okay, I don't really know what to do with that in my morning quiet time this morning, right? And yet, holy cow, this is an incredible, incredible vision. You'll see it. So these different materials stand for different kingdoms. Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold, the most powerful of all kingdoms. It's like the Olympics. So I guess so. it's gold, silver, bronze, right? And I guess iron should be, if you get fourth place in the Olympics, you should get an iron medal, fifth place, iron mixed with clay, right? That's what's going on there. So it's, we see this statue, and it's from more powerful, more precious metal down to, uh, down to the least. So he says, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. You're the most powerful of all the kingdoms. After you, another kingdom is going to come that's less powerful, and then another less powerful kingdom represented by the stomach of bronze. And then there's going to be a fourth kingdom, which will be strong at first, right, the legs of iron. But then as it, as it goes on, it will kind of weaken as it will become a divided kingdom as that iron mixes with clay, and it will not be able to hold together. And then after these kingdoms, God's going to set up a kingdom that's going to end all of these other kingdoms, a kingdom that would reign over the whole earth forever. What's going to bring about that kingdom in the dream? What is it? A what? A s- starts with S. Rhymes with phone. A stone. Very good. Good job, guys. Man, you're just with it today. That's great. A stone. Tuck that away in your mind. We're going to come back to that. But before we talk about what this means For us, we kind of need to understand what did it mean to the different people in the story. So Nebuchadnezzar, how do you think he felt about this interpretation of this dream, what it meant? I read, there's actually kind of different opinions on this. So I read a commentator this week who said that David, or not David, Daniel would have been nervous to tell him this dream because he was essentially telling Nebuchadnezzar like his, his legacy was just going to be washed away and it wouldn't mean anything because the statue would be destroyed. However, I, I disagree with that. I think that Nebuchadnezzar only heard uh, three words and then basically didn't really listen to anything else. He just heard head of gold is me. And that was kind of it for like, okay, yep, that's exactly right. I'm the head of gold. I'm the most powerful. I am the, the greatest king. Why do I think that? Well, What happens in the very next chapter? What does Nebuchadnezzar do? He sets up a big what? Gold statue, okay? So he's definitely not humbled by this interpretation of this dream, okay? So Nebuchadnezzar hears this, and he just kind of, it's feeding into his ego. It's feeding into what he wants to hear, I think. That's my opinion. There's different opinions on that. However, the important thing is what was Daniel's takeaway from this dream? I love this. It's almost like he's giving a secret message to Daniel and his friends. What would their takeaway have been? Well, what would Daniel and his friends have been thinking about as they lived in Babylon, as people and his land being ripped away by this hostile foreign power? What would they have been wondering? How long is this going to last, God? How much longer are we going to have to go through this? How long until my people are no longer in exile? And Nebuchadnezzar's dream and its interpretation would have been a very crystal clear message to Daniel that it's not going to last forever. 
that there would be a time where this kingdom that looked like it was powerful right now, it's going to slowly weaken, and eventually an eternal kingdom will overtake these kingdoms. One day, this is going to change. What an encouragement to Daniel. It looked like and felt like all hope was lost. They would have wondered if God's promises throughout Israel's history would have still been on the table. Is it still going to be true? Will there still be a Messiah? Are we still going to rule forever because we've been disobedient for years and years and years and now God has allowed us to be overtaken by this hostile kingdom? Is God still in control? That's the question. And this, the way God answers that question is no way that we would have ever answered that question as he gives this crazy dream to this crazy king. And the answer is, yes, I'm still on the throne. Yes, I'm still in control. And this would have been such hope for the people. But it's a difficult kind of hope. I think we need to understand that this morning because sometimes that's our greatest hope as well. It's a difficult kind of hope. Why? Because it wasn't going to be a short-term solution. The, the dream wasn't to Nebuchadnezzar, you're going you're to be destroyed and give it two months and then all this is going to go away and, and my people are going to be back in power. No. There would be three more kingdoms that would come after. It wasn't going to be a quick fix. I'll tell you what, this is one of the, the hardest things about being in pastoral ministry or just for any of us that minister to one another when people are just walking through a, such a hard situation, a heavy situation, when devastating things come. Like I so desperately just want to be like, okay, it's going to get better real soon, I promise. <laughs> right? We can't promise that. I'm not a fortune teller. What's the hope that we have? It's in this forever kingdom. It's the exact same hope that Daniel would have had in Daniel chapter 2. Our hope isn't necessarily that our short-term circumstances are going to get better. As much as like, that would just, I would love that. I go, don't worry. Like, I just, your marriage problems, they're going to just get fixed here just real soon. Your financial situation is going to improve. Next year, you're going to be out of this horrible job that you hate and into your dream job. Like, that's not our, our hope, church. The only thing that we can do is just point to the God who is still on the throne and just say, I know it looks hard right now, but God is building his kingdom. Amen? So we keep pressing on. We keep persevering in Babylon. We try not to get distracted by shiny objects like Nebuchadnezzar did. We try not to align ourselves with the things of the world that are growing strangely dim. We need to remember that God is building his kingdom, and he's doing it with a stone. <laughs> with a stone. So what's up with this stone? This is just, it's just cool. I love the Bible. It's amazing. So you might remember two weeks ago I told you that there's a lot of like the more liberal uh, biblical scholars that reject uh, Daniel's authorship of Daniel. They say Daniel could not have been the author of Daniel because there's no way anyone could have predicted how specifically Daniel did the events that would to come, were to come. But we obviously know that Daniel could have done that just like Daniel could have known what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was if God told him, right? So these kingdoms have already come and gone since the time of Daniel. 
And we can know, we, like these things that happened after Nebuchadnezzar dreamt them, after Daniel uh, explained it, what they meant. And we can line it up exactly with what happened since the time of Daniel, leading us right up to the time of Christ. So the head of gold, like we said, is the Babylonian kingdom. After the Babylonian kingdom comes a slightly weaker, less powerful kingdom, the Medo-Persian kingdom. And then after that is a slightly weaker kingdom, which is the kingdom of Greece. And then that leads us right to this kingdom that would start out as iron, but then become divided, which is the kingdom of Rome. Now, I have a question for you, church. Who was in power, political power, when Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem? Well, how about that? Yeah, (laughs) it explode, right? So what's going to destroy this final kingdom? A stone. So what about this stone? Well, this isn't the only time the Bible talks about a stone. Psalm 118, 22, the stone that the builders rejected. So it's a stone that some people would look on and think that's not worth anything, has become the cornerstone, the most important stone in history. That's in Psalm 118. Isaiah 8:14. He will become a sanctuary and a what? A stone of offense and a rock of stumbling. And now we see in Daniel 2, the kingdom that would conquer every other kingdom is a stone. And who does the New Testament tell us would be the stone? The Sunday school answer, everybody said? Oh, come on, we can do better than that. Who's the stone? Jesus is the stone. Peter tells us both of those verses, Psalm 118 and Isaiah chapter 8, apply to Jesus. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. Jesus is the stone of offense and the rock of stumbling. And if that's not enough, listen to what Jesus himself says in Matthew 21. I know I'm getting excited, but this is really cool. Matthew 21, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. What does that sound like Jesus is doing? Sounds like he's telling us he's the stone of Daniel chapter 2. Guys, the Bible's amazing. (laughs) Jesus is the stone. When did he come? During the reign of the kingdom of iron and clay, which was prophesied 600 years beforehand. Now, what's that stone going to do? It's not going to get any less amazing. What's the stone going to do? Look at the end of verse 36. The stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Filled what? The whole earth. So the stone is going to grow. It's going to fill the whole earth. What did God tell Adam and Eve to do in the garden back in the very beginning of your Bible? Fill the earth with worshipers. What did God tell Noah to do after the flood? Fill the earth. What did God promise Abraham? That he would bless the whole earth. All the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. Okay, where did Jesus tell us to go? Let's fast forward. Where did Jesus tell us to go in Acts chapter 1 before he ascended into heaven? To the ends of the earth. What are we going to see at the very end in Revelation when Jesus comes back? Worshippers from all over the earth. 
Guys, this, the Bible is one story. Did you know that? It's one story. It's about Jesus who deserves worshipers from every corner of the earth that he created. And we have a part to play. Jesus told us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations. It's why we're trying our best to reach our neighbors as a church, and it's why we're sending our best to reach the nations. And so if you're here this morning and you're following Jesus, I just want, like, I just want us together to just like marvel at this rock, right? The one who conquered all nations. How did he conquer the nations? By being lifted up on a cross. That stone in Daniel chapter 2 would be the stone that the builders rejected. And as he's crucified, it's the single greatest event in all of human history. He conquered all the nations, and he knows your name. Your life is not an accident. Your story is not an accident. God has laid out with us in his word the plan for the whole universe. We don't know all the details. We don't know necessarily what's going to be in the future from here, how it is all going to play out. I don't think we need to worry about it too much. We know what the end is going to be. We know what our job is to fill the earth with worshipers. So if you're here this morning and we know Jesus, like I just want to see this picture of our mind in Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the kingdoms that start out looking shiny, but eventually they're just going to turn into chaff and waste away. There's those kingdoms of the earth, and then there's the kingdom that started out with the stone that the builders rejected that's going to fill the whole earth. And just ask, like, where am I devoting myself, right? Where am I devoting my life? Am I devoting my life to this kingdom that's going to waste away? Or am I devoting myself to the kingdom that will reign forever? And let me just say, if you're here this morning or if you're hearing this this morning or at any point and you don't know Jesus, I just want to tell you this just like very simply. If you want to be a part of God's kingdom, if you want your sins to be forgiven, quite frankly, if you don't want to be destroyed by a just and holy God, who has told us what's going to happen in the end. You need to pray to God and confess your sin and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and follow him, and you should do that today. Because I'm going to tell you one more incredible thing about this stone that will destroy the kingdoms of the earth, and if you're not following him, you will be destroyed as well. But here's what's even more amazing. It's not, it's not an indifferent thing. But the this, this stone is just going to, you know, whoever, whoever is following him, whoever's not, it's just whatever. Like, you are loved so deeply. I was just talking to someone just right before the service this morning, and he told me that today he gets to see um, his daughter, who's three years old. He hasn't seen her in seven months. I was just thinking about, like, the anticipation of that, right? Like, how would your heart feel as a father when you get to, like, see your, your daughter? She's, she showed me a picture. She's so cute. She's getting big, right? How much love you have and how, how you just can't wait, right? <laughs> that man is counting down the minutes of today. And Jesus pursues you the same way. He loves you the same way.
he wants you. When the enemy wants to fill your head with lies and say, no, not me, not with what I've done, not with who I am. It's not me. It is you. Those are lies. He just loves you. And he's building his kingdom, and he wants you in his kingdom. So if you're not following Jesus, man, follow Jesus because he loves you. And he's pursuing you. And he's building his kingdom, and it will last forever the things of the world are just going to get washed away. And you don't want to be caught up in that because that wrath is terrifying and it is just. He's not wrong. But he's given you an opportunity to follow Jesus. So I just don't know if there's anyone in here who's not following Jesus. If that's you this morning, you, I would love to pray with you right after the service. We'll do a song of closing. I'll be standing right up here. I'd love to pray with you after the service. But church... God's building his kingdom. It's not an accident. Amen? He is a sovereign king. Sometimes he communicates what he's doing with a, through, through the dream of a tyrant. We don't need to wonder because he's given us his word. And praise God for his word. Praise God that he allows us to be a part of his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. It's just, it's just unfathomable to our heads how, how it all comes together, Lord. It just feels so um, just inadequate even to even try to describe what you are doing. And yet, God, you've given us the spirit to understand it, so we pray to you for that, Lord. If there's anyone in here this morning who's not following you, I pray that today would be the day that they say, I believe, I want to walk in your kingdom, God. Thank you that it's because only of the blood of Jesus who was lifted up on the cross, who died and took your wrath for us so that we don't have to. It's because of Jesus that we can be a part of your kingdom because the stone came and he's coming back. And you're building your kingdom in the meantime, God. So for those of us who are following you, may we not be aligning ourselves with some of these other things in the other kingdom that are going to waste away, God. Just make it clear, how do you want us to make you known in our, to our neighbors and to the nations, God? What a privilege to be a part of your work. Oh, it's so good. You're so good to us, God. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.